Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode, we are going to be talking about customer success management and this is a role that you'll find in a lot of tech companies today and to help us understand this space, our guest today is Nereda Esparza and she works as a customer success manager with Amazon, uh, specifically with the Amazon business unit. Nereda has been working with Amazon for a little over two years now and prior to Amazon, she's done a lot of very different things so I'm going to let Nereda describe her career path. Uh, And in terms of her educational background, she has a bachelor's in Latin American studies from Smith College, and she has an MPhil, again, with a focus on Latin American studies from University of Oxford. So I hope you enjoy today's discussion on customer success management. And uh, with that, let's welcome Nareda. Hello. Hi, Sonali. Narita, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So then uh, let's start with a quick summary of your background. Tell us a little bit about what your path has been like so far. And if you can also touch upon some of the key decisions that you took along the way and the reasons behind them. Sure. I think that's a great place to start. I am currently based out of Austin, Texas. I am a, a native Texan. I was Born and raised on the Rio Grande Valley, which is the southernmost part of Texas. It's right along the Mexican-American border. And growing up in this area just really instilled this amazing passion for politics and international relations and development studies. So when I went off to college, I studied at Smith College and then later at at the University of Oxford. I, I majored in development studies with a focus in Latin America. And I had very early aspirations of joining the Department of State and becoming a foreign service officer and traveling all over the world, you know, and Mm -hmm. I I really cared a lot about that. But right after Oxford, I changed paths a little bit. I was recruited to work at a business intelligence firm in London, and they essentially were doing political risk consulting. So, you know, what I was hired to do was was beyond a very large due diligence project. Um, our customer was an oil company that was essentially countersuing a large Latin American company. And I just thought to myself, you know, if this, <laughs> you know, if this is really what I wanted to do long term, um, the work was extremely interesting and challenging. But one thing that I knew about myself having grown up where I where I did and, and coming from a family of educators is that I really wanted to be in more of a mission driven role. Um, and not necessarily just socially minded, but something that I could really relate to and align to. And so I, I spent some time reflecting right after, you know, university, um, what I wanted to do next. And I got very, very lucky because right around 2015, Pearson, which is uh, one of Britain's largest education publishing companies, Pearson is probably known today as one of the largest e-learning companies mm-hmm. on the planet started their leadership development program. They had, had been, you know, relatively new. It was a corporate rotational program. Um, if you're familiar with MBA programs, right. it was something like that. Yeah. 
And so I, uh, I think the year that I applied, there was 685 people who submitted resumes um, for the program. And there was only 15 spots. And I got one of those 15 spots, Sonali. So I got, again, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) It was incredible, just formative experience. It was an opportunity to do a, a bunch of different roles in a corporate environment. So I did everything from marketing to product development. I did UX, UI design. Mm. Um, I got to just, you know, rotate around and, and work with sales teams, partner development teams, everything in between. And that's really what helped me come to Amazon because having been in the ed tech and e-learning space for such a, a long time, about three years, Amazon at the time, I think it was like 2016, had just started increasing their footprint in the education world. And they were recruiting for a customer success manager. So someone who was, mm. you know, had client hands, what McKinsey calls client hands, right? Who could be customer facing, right. but also had had a deep interest, right? In K through 12 education. And then uh, the rest is history. So I came to Amazon in 2016 on the 10 Marks team. Wow. First, first of all, that is a windy road for sure, because from where you started to where you are. So I think one of the things which definitely pops up as a question for me is that initially you were interested in things like international development and political risk and maybe entering politics directly. And now you're working in tech, which is so Mm -hmm. different, right? So what was it that led you to say that, you know what, this is the industry I want to be in, at least for now. It might change later on, of course. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it's really funny to see how life changes so quickly. And, you know, you're, you go from one step to the other. And sometimes when you look back, you're like, how, how did I even get here? <laughs> right. And I think for me, it was just it was such a niche space. Right. So if you think about ed tech and think about, you know, who are the big players in that space and think about who has the influence and, and know how really to have impact at scale. There are very few companies who could do that, right? So when Amazon taught, knocked on my virtual door and said, hey, <laughs> we're doing something new. And honestly, Sonali, it was, it was one of those experiences where the program that I was going to work at was it's a, it's a online math program. You know, if you had told me, you know, even 10 years ago that I was going to be working on a math program, I would have probably laughed off, right? <laughs> Left you off. So totally, totally kind of different experience. But I think what made me realize that I wanted to leave traditional kind of publishing background, right? So this was Pearson was mostly known, right, at the time for its textbook industry and Mm. its textbook products. And to think about how much of an impact that they had had on education up until the early 2000s. And just, I was really excited to see what Amazon could do, right, with its impact and with its scale and its space. So mm-hmm. for me, it was a no-brainer, right, when some when someone knocks on your door of opportunity and and makes you an offer you can't refuse. It was just <laughs> a, an incredible opportunity to say yes, right, say yes as many times as you can. So, and when Amazon reached out to you, did you know what customer success management is? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I know you're going to ask about this a little later in the podcast, so I'm looking forward to talking about it then. But there are key differences, I think, between, you know, account management, customer success, yeah. and I'm happy to dive deep a little bit into that. But the role that I was hired for initially, I think, is a, was a little bit of both. And that's okay, right? Different companies, especially recurring revenue models, right? So we're talking about 
tech-based SaaS companies, um, software as a service companies, subscription-based model companies. Essentially, what I'm saying is companies that really rely on on revenue, right, and and renewal of that revenue, really are starting to think a little bit more about how do we manage that post-sale relationship and how do we help achieve customer goals a little bit better. Um, So I had no idea, right, what customer success meant. I had no idea. I hadn't really been in a, you know, hard sales role, right, at Pearson. I hadn't really been out there with like a quota and a territory, nothing like that. And so coming to, to, to Tenmarks was a little bit of a different experience because it wasn't a sales role, but it, there was a little bit of that account management aspect to it as mm, well. I see. Yeah, so l- let's talk about the, the difference between CSM and account management a little bit later. But I do want to touch upon a little bit about what the function itself is and why did it start in the first place in tech? Because it is a relatively new area, right? Do you know how old the function is in tech? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I did a little bit of research as well, you know, in preparation for today. And I think there's probably a lot of listeners out there who, who have a deep understanding of CSM rules as well. So just know that it is, I think, ever changing and it is growing a lot. And I don't think there's a single point of origin, mm-hmm. right, where we can say like this company this yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> but you start to think I mentioned earlier, uh, recurring revenue model companies, but I think it has its CSM customer success management has its roots in the late 90s. And we're talking about, you know, specifically with tech companies, every tech company is going to have some sort of post-sale customer relationship maintenance role, right? Mm -hmm. So they could either have an implementation team or a training team or a support team, an account management team. They'll have all sorts of those post-sale roles. But I think, you know, the the origins of CSM come from a really shift. It's like a, a mind shift, right? And thinking about, you know, rather than starting with a question of, you know, what can we get out of our customers? How can we get them to acquire more, to adopt more, to really, you know, buy more? How can we get them to renew year over year? I think the the question shifts to how is the customer going to define success, right? So Vantiv, and I can tell you a little bit of, of that history, but Vantiv was one of the first companies that had a director with an actual title of customer success. Vantiv is a CRM company. They're a customer relationship management company, and their model worked on basically referrals, right? So their sales team would go out and say they could call any one of their customers and ask for a a referral. But if the customer in hand had a terrible (laughs) implementation experience, they were less likely to give a referral, right? right? And so so Vantiv really just approached, started to approach it a little bit differently. And, and that's when they hired um, their first CSM director. And I think that the two questions that are noted for Vantiv are, you know, how are you going to define success? And what do you expect from us to help you get there? I'll pause in a second, but I just wanted to give you one more example because I, I was just having um, uh, a coffee with a friend of mine earlier today. And she was telling me about her experience with Stitch Fix. Okay. Are you familiar with Stitch Fix, Sonali? Yes, but maybe you can describe it for the benefit of any listener who may not be. Yeah. So I think Stitch Fix is one of those companies. I'm actually not sure if Stitch Fix has a customer success function, but to illustrate that mind shift in the way of thinking about customers first, um, I love this example because Stitch Fix, um, the way that their model works is when you go to the website, you sign up and you essentially 
are paired off with with a few stylists and you tell them your preferences with what you're looking for, right? Um, you tell them your style preferences, your sizes, your price range, type of materials that you like, all of that information. And then the stylist will put together a box and that box contains multiple items and you try, you receive the box, you try the items and then you essentially return what you don't like. And over time, um, you essentially end up with a particular type of style that is paired with a particular type of stylist. So it's really based on your happiness and it is a subscription-based model, Stitch Fix. So Basically, that means that at the end of the month, if you did not like the items that that stylist sent you, you could cancel your subscription at any time. So although there's no like explicit goals of, okay, I want to look super cute, right? (laughs) And be super stylish. It is about thinking about that customer experience first. So I really credit Catherine Lake, who's the CEO of Stitch Fix, a a lot for thinking about what would be customer success in an example like that. Yeah, so that that was super, super helpful. And thank you for sharing those examples because that, that does illustrate the role. So essentially, it sounds like if you are a customer success manager, then you are responsible for thinking about, or rather working with the customer to figure out, A, how do they define success? So uh, the customer is sort of telling you in some way that this is what success looks like for me. And then you're working with them to help them get there in whatever way you can through the product that you're that you're providing or the service that you're providing to them right yeah there's a there's a process in place right yeah. so so yes um, i think that kind of illustrates it pretty well and there, there's different companies will define it slightly differently right yeah. because it is an evolving role and function yeah so that brings up my next question and you sort of touched upon it uh, in the beginning which is do csms and account managers can both the roles coexist in the same company and if yes, and if yes, <laughs> yep. what's the difference between the two? You might not like this answer, so I totally <laughs> expect some follow-up questions as well. But yeah, it is. It is very. It can be a little blurry sometimes, right? You know, what are the true differences? That sounds like an account management role, right? I think account management and customer success management are almost two sides of a of the same coin. A lot of the times they go hand in hand and you'll hear senior customer success leaders talk about how the relationship between sales and customer success is super duper important. Like they have to coexist. And depending on the size and function and and industry and vertical that the company may be in, um, they may even overlap. So I talked a little bit about Tenmark, so I'll, I'll revisit that in just a second. But Tenmark, my, my role was, was one, a good example of how those two overlapped. So let me just maybe define customer success yeah. management, and then I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of, of the differences between the two. I think that customer success management is, is at, the, at its fundamental basis. It's when your customers achieve their desired outcome through interactions with your company. So we had talked about how, what is that success? How are we going to measure and track against it? But to go into a, like just a little bit deeper, I think that especially if you are a recurring revenue model company, it, you really have to start to think about what does customer success driven growth look like, right? We have to make sure that these customers return to us time and time again. If you are based on a referral type of service, that is going to become extremely important. And so where you start to see the differences between the two roles is that you have you know, one role, the customer success management role, which which is, I think, 
in a lot of instances, really focused on the implementation, the onboarding, the integration of the product and service, where the customer success manager is a complete product expert um, and also can provide those best practices. Like if I were to, if I was as, I'm not saying that I am, but if I was a Stitch Fix yeah. customer success manager, you know, how can I get you to use this product best way and format? And then the goal with the end goal being adoption, right? So how do we get that that customer to to really adopt and get the most out of, of what they are integrating? As opposed to the account management role, which is focused on more long-term, right? So they're thinking about retention and renewal, right? Mm-hmm. So the account managers might be a little bit more tied to the sales function in many instances. They may have a specific quota for renewals. Um, So for 10 marks, you know, I had the responsibility to meet with school districts and implement the product, deliver all the training, report, measure progress with the program in the classroom. But at the end of the year, I was also in charge of the account renewal. So in a way, my CSM role was also had a few elements of AM. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, Sonali, I think it's about both functions have similar goals, right? So they want both, they want to retain, they want to nurture, they want to grow that customer relationship, but they're going to have specific differences in in the job scope and functionality of of when they enter the customer life cycle. I see. Yeah, I'm literally digesting what you just told me. But I think one thing which is sort of apparent is that in, in a large tech company, if both of these roles coexist, then it's probably the case that a CSM does not really have a quota, whereas the account manager does have a quota. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. So in men and I can't speak to every single yeah. right company, but you know, it is largely the case that uh, in an account management role, you are, I think, more likely, right, to yeah. have some sort of sales goal or target. Yeah. But I don't want to say that that is necessarily the case in every single role or function. So. Um, I agree with you. I think CSM roles tend to be a little bit more focused on the customer experience right. and, and again, tend to be a little bit more time bound, right? So you're yeah. in, you're out, you do your thing, right? You hand it and transition oh. it back to another team as you do. But that's, again, that's not necessarily going to be applicable to every single instance. But I think if you can say for your, my company, we're specifically focused on onboarding, and implementation and measuring that, right? Whether it's, you know, we want to have 100% adoption rate of all of the users, right, for this particular product, then we're going to track and measure and project plan against that. Okay, so this this is another very interesting point that you just brought up, which is that it's time bound. So it sounds like that the the account manager is probably the person, unless and until it's the same person doing this, uh, then, then of course, that's a different case. And the account manager is probably the one who owns the relationship over many, many years. And the CSM might come in depending on the project. So let's say they deployed some new product, then you're brought in because you are the one who can really work with the customer to figure out that, okay, this is sort of their unique situation. And how can the how can your product or, or service best meet, mm-hmm. meet that situation? And then once that's done, you will probably move on. So you are not owning the relationship as such. That's the account manager. Mm-hmm. Right. And for if you're a very large software company, you will also have pretty sophisticated customer service teams as well. So there are multiple 
self-service options where the customer can mm-hmm. get support. Right. But I, I would never say, for example, I would n- I can say that customer success is not customer service. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so I would so never want to be the person. Layer right, to this. Answering. Yeah, okay, yeah, got exactly. It. So yeah, can you share examples of some projects uh, that a CSM might work on? Yeah. So I can talk to you a little bit about maybe my experience with the Amazon business. Um so let me first define for for our listeners who might not know what we are. We are Amazon Business is the B2B marketplace that combines the selection, the convenience, the value that customers know and expect from amazon.com with some new features and some just pretty unique benefits that are that are tailored for our business customers. So it's the B2B marketplace of Amazon. And typically my my interaction comes in any new customer engagement that I might be brought into will begin with a internal handoff mm-hmm. um, between me and my sales counterpart. Um, they're the customer advisor for that particular account. And in that meeting, I'll receive a, a brief overview of the scope of the project. I'll receive some information about any potential risks or challenges, any roadblocks. And more importantly, I think we'll I'll get a, a debrief on any technical requirements that that customer may have. So we call that initial call a, a internal customer advisor to customer success manager handoff. And I pause on that because the handoff is super important. There's actually a lot of literature out there on how to do this the best way, right? <laughs> Especially if you're a customer that's interacting with many internal teams, we want to make sure that you are prepared as much as possible, right? Before you have that first meeting with with the customer, you want to know that you understand um, what their uh, goals are. Yeah, Yeah. uh, just a quick note over here. Would it be possible for for you to share an actual project, like an example, and then maybe illustrate these stages through that project? Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so let me walk you through the, the stages. I think that might be helpful. So I worked with a customer recently. So in this instance, we were so we're working with a an enterprise customer. They wanted to integrate the Amazon Business Marketplace with their existing e-procurement system. So currently, Amazon Business has the ability to integrate with um, an e-procurement system. So there, if you go to our website, you can probably get a a, a quick overview. But essentially, um, an e-procurement system is a place where end users who are essentially buyers would can access the marketplace right through a through a more kind of regulated interface um, on their company's behalf. So that is a, a pretty complicated technical integration. It does require the involvement of multiple teams. And so the goal for this customer is to, of course, have a successful integration with that e-procurement system. But they also want to make sure that they have a successful communication and training plan and that there is a, a key component of change management involved, right? Because right. we're essentially there and all of the employees at their company are going to be introduced to a new way, right? right. To access hmm. Amazon than than what they're familiar with, right? Which is going going through our personal or our consumer accounts, right? So if you're going to be purchasing for your business, it's going to be there's going to be some change management involved in how you actually access, right, that particular customer account. So there's typically five stages of, of what I would go through. And I think if I go through them, that might be a little bit helpful. 
So there's five stages to an implementation that I like to outline for that customer. So in this particular case, we spent a lot of time in uh, that first stage, which is the planning stage. And on the planning stage, we'll define my customer's requirements. Um, I'll help them build a communication strategy. So for example, they may have an internal internet system. In this case, they used, um, they had their own learning management software. Mm. So I could build specific, you know, training decks and communication deck, uh, communication emails and communication templates for them. I spend a little bit of time in that planning phase trying to understand their, what their existing purchasing method is, right? And their policies. And then together, we'll put together a project plan, right? So on that project plan, I'll define a timeline, a go live date, and we'll try to uh, co-create some joint measures for success, right? So if that could, that might be adoption rate, how many folks that we want to have actually use this service. And then we move into a, a second phase, which is the configuration phase. So for in the, in the example for this customer, um, I had to essentially pull in the appropriate teams to help me with that technical integration. And the idea is that my role and function is to manage all the people involved and keep them on track uh, against that project plan so that we're working backwards, right, from mm-hmm. that desired launch date. And then we move into that final, that third phase, excuse me, the launch phase. And this is when I actually deliver the training that we had um, agreed on. I'll make sure that, you know, if there's different stakeholders involved, so there might be some administrator roles versus versus some like end user roles. They might want certain types of messaging, right, from their, their current policies in place. Then I'll facilitate and communicate that change management strategy to through the training and communication process that is part of the, the third phase, which is the launch phase. And then the last two phases are evaluation and control. So we'll talk about what reporting I can pull for them. So if you think about the average Amazon business, right. um, customer wants to know, like, what are, what are people acquiring, right? What are they buying? Where can we start to see trends, right? Um, on those purchasing decisions. And then the final phase, the fifth phase is a transition. So just how I was introduced, I will, um, once everything is tied off from the project plan, I will then transition that customer back to the customer advisor, yeah. which is um, essentially my sales counterpart. And they will, I guess, take on, I guess, but the best thing I can describe it as is continue providing mm. that account management support for them on a more long-term basis. Interesting, interesting. So, so during this project, uh, I guess you're working with two sets of people. I'm sure you're working with people from Amazon. And then you're also working with a bunch of people from from the client side. So when you're doing these, uh, when you're sort of actively managing the project, you're actively coordinating activities across both companies, right? Yeah, exactly. It can be very hairy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> when you have yeah. teams in Seattle and Boston and, and you know, multiple international locations, um, and then your customer, I'm in the central time zone. So yeah, you are, I think the best thing I can describe it as is if you are standing at a balcony looking down at mm-hmm. a dance floor, you know where everyone is, you know what they're supposed to be doing, you're, key, you're holding them accountable, you're moving, you're facilitating that, you know, that end goal. Um, and a lot of the times, I think one of the things that I find really challenging in a good way is that every customer has a different technical requirement. So although we are product experts and, and 
can facilitate that, it's it's really up to the customer success manager to really know what the customer is saying to them. So if someone were to tell me, for example, we really care about transparency and visibility and controls, then I know that I may want to recommend curation for them. So David Salazar had talked about that in your last interview, but we had heard from many of our customers that, again, curation is important, right? So the ability to offer a more guided buying experience on Amazon business than you would in other cases. So I'm starting to pick up on those cues and I'm able to kind of progress towards that that end goal. Right, right. This is very interesting. And I guess in tech, would would you say that a lot of projects that a customer success manager would would work on would be similar to this in in the sense like you said the infrastructure and the technical details might vary a lot but usually a csm is there because something new is being deployed and so that requires some change management and some sort of figuring out what's the best mm-hmm. thing to do in the product for that customer absolutely and i think that's why your earlier question is really interesting because if you think about it in those terms, then the line between account management and customer success management starts to blur a yeah. little bit, right? And so I think about a company like LinkedIn, um, who has a bunch of products. If you're not familiar with the LinkedIn product line, they have an e-learning solution, right? So mm-hmm. if you'd like the yeah. idea being that if you're researching something or you're looking at someone's profile and you're like, ooh, Sonali has an MBA. I want to learn more about an MBA, yeah. right? Or she knows how to write in Python, and I want to learn more about Python, then then you can start to facilitate that learning process. But then they also have things like e-learning and sales navigator. And those are those are essentially renewal subscription based (laughs) recurring revenue model products. And so they have to think about, you know, where can this customer success role really define a pathway for that customer to maximize the impact that they will have using our product, right? And so it's funny because I had a conversation with a LinkedIn CSM manager Mm -hmm. and he was talking specifically about his sales navigator product. And he said, it's really important to us that we differentiate ourselves from just being another lead generation (laughs) product, right? Because if you're going to go use LinkedIn for lead generation, right? Like finding people that you may want to acquire as new customers, that may not be the best way to use LinkedIn because there are so many competitors in that space. So what is the added value that LinkedIn, billion dollar company with billions of users, can provide to you over another potential really um, lead generation or CRM system? Yeah, I mean, the more you talk about it, it's true because you know once a company has built a product, if you just sell it to a customer, unless and until the customer really knows how to use it and and is using it in the best way possible, they may not actually be able to extract uh, the value that is possible. And then that impacts your renewals and everything. So it does sound as if, like, do you need to be technical for this role? So I I would say it it does not hurt. Yeah, (laughs) because you have to be so good at the product, right? And then answer the customer's questions. Right, right. And so if you think about what the average, like what is the the typical like background for customer success management is, there isn't one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I can tell you about some trends. So and it really depends on the company that you're at, right? So I think consultants tend to do extremely well in this type of role, right? So I I go back to that McKinsey example. McKinsey says that, you know, it's really hard to find someone who has client hands, which Mm -hmm. is 
essentially someone who who can sympathize with the customer, really identify the key pain point and, and see the customer through its their success, right, and their risks, and also be equal parts technical or have a really good background or understanding of the specific industry or vertical, right? So if you think about, not sure he's going to be happy with this, but if you think about my manager, he has both, right? So he has a deep, deep understanding of you know, the procurement space, right? And the supplier space, right? So that is interesting for, of course, necessary for B2B, right? B2B purchasing, but he comes from a consulting background. So he has many years of experience at Deloitte and led teams there. And he, again, can combine both of those experiences pretty well for this role in a leadership capacity. If you think about my experience, you know, where I started from, I just truly, deeply, deeply enjoy working with customers. And I have spent quite a lot of time educating myself and learning and and growing by experience on how to provide the best customer experience. Technical aspects, uh, you really just pick up over time, right? There's only so many ways someone can ask you the same question. (laughs) So after a while, you realize, oh, okay, you pick up on those cues. Mm -hmm. And so you start to build that technical capacity. But I think so Nali, to answer your question more directly, it is a very cool role. It is also a very hard role, right? Because there are not a lot of people that I know of who are super technical and super good with customers as well. Yeah, it's a hard skill set, or rather the two are hard to find in the same person. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And, and since we're talking about the background, can you also touch upon, is there any anything that you look for in terms of educational background? So do you do you hire straight out of school or is it more of a you know lateral you know someone has worked in the industry as a consultant or something else for a while and then you hire them i think um what i've seen so far and keep in mind there are many many exceptions to this but you typically you want someone who you know whether whether you're straight out of school or not you know someone who either has some experience in and, and having a deep product orientation, right? Mm-hmm. So they know the product, they know how to how to get the most out of it. They've done product development, testing, even coming from like a marketing background is interesting, right? Because you're deeply ingrained in product development. Or there are the second bucket, which is more that customer orientation bucket. So someone who had who has done a sales role, for example, um, someone who has been in an account management role, a communications role, really understands, right, what what it's like to work directly with customers and, and be held accountable to that. And I think there are, of course, many exceptions, but if you would think about more technical, so like cloud-based or cloud infrastructure companies, Microsoft, AWS, and the like, I imagine that their CSMs are going to be a lot more technical yeah. because you're talking a more technical-focused product. Yeah, yeah. And can you talk a little bit about the career progression? So let's say you join, what is the entry-level CSM person called? CSM? (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. So you join as a customer success manager. So let's say someone has an MBA, and let's say before doing their MBA, maybe they were in consulting, right? Or or maybe they did some sort of like a sales kind of role. So you hire them. So they'll join as a CSM, and then how do you grow? in the function? Yeah, I mean, short of giving you, uh, I'll, you know, I was going to say, oh, you can do anything, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll tell you more. So I was listening to this interview with Brian Dieter, who is a, 
he's essentially, he's an investor and he was being interviewed by the chief customer advisor at Gainsight. Okay. And he had talked about how there's really no limit to, to a senior person in a, C, a CSM function. So if you start as an individual contributor, like what I am doing right now, right, you might be in charge of uh, a portfolio of strategic relationships that are constantly changing throughout the year. But I could definitely see myself growing in a more, you know, possibly like a leadership capacity and managing a team, yeah. right? But because I have a deep product knowledge and because I'm working with different customers, I may also want to move more into a leadership role in both either product or sales or tech, right? Okay. So it just depends on what I'm most going to, what, what am I going to be interested in? But to go back to Brian, he was talking about how the CEOs that he tends to invest in fall into that second bucket I was talking about earlier, which is that deep customer orientation and that mm-hmm. he wishes that he would see more CSM roles. But the, the function, it's so new, Sonali, that I think there just hasn't been enough time yeah. from the late 90s to, to now to kind of see, right? <laughs> How people grow <laughs> that, in the function, yeah. Exactly. So you could really do quite a lot, especially in tech, right? So if you think about the big five, four, how many other? The four. Big five. Um, I don't know anymore. Is it the Fang? Right? Yeah, Fang. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And Fang, actually just to Fang, for those of you who are not familiar, Fang is uh, F-A-N-G. So it's Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google. I feel I'm Mm -hmm. missing something. Yeah, Amazon. So it's F-A-A-N-G. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, continue. (laughs) But But Brian was saying, you know, I really think that CSM will be a way to get to the CEO path, right? Mm. So it's it's a way because you are interacting with multiple teams, you have that exposure and you can really grow and develop. But I think with anyone, it's about being extremely driven and setting your course and just sticking with it. So let, let's change course a little bit and talk a little bit about your day then. If I were to run into you on, on any given day, what what kind of problems would I find you working on? So you'll probably find me working on my calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you have a lot of meetings, like customer meetings all the time? I have so many meetings and I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) But we have so many meetings. I think it's really easy. You have to be, one thing that I've learned is that the most successful people in this role are those that are super meticulous with their time. When you are working with many different types of customers, it's, it's so easy to just get back-to-back-to-back kind of calls. I like to carve out a specific time in my calendar where I can do research and problem solving, right? So during my week, I may have project kickoff calls. I may have handoffs between the customer advisor and me. I may have some follow-up calls with an integration specialist. I may have some meetings with product, right? If I want to get an update on where we are on a roadmap with a specific feature that I think might benefit my customer, I'll be meeting with them. But I do try to just carve out a specific time on my calendar where I'm problem solving, right? So I'm collating information, I'm researching, I'm looking through our collateral. I'm trying to ask my peers and my colleagues what the best practice may be for a particular scenario. Um, and so I, I do try to kind of stay a little bit more vigilant and protective of my time in terms of how can I maximize the space to to make sure that the next meeting is super productive. Like, oh, you had a question about curation? I have your answer. Oh, do you have any progress on um, that e-procurement system that we're integrating? Have you received the test that we sent? You got it? 
great. Now we can move on to the next step. So you're really checking off a lot of boxes. It's like running a marathon, you know? I um, I have found many times during the day where someone is sending me a chat message when, on our internal chat system, and I'm like, I'm sorry, dude, but I have to take a bio break. <laughs> oh, wow. I've been gone all day. I need to go. Oh, wow. That's something. intense. That is intense that you don't even have time to take a bio break. That is. So, I mean, would you say, I'm guessing that the, the intensity is because it's a customer-facing role, so you are... You can't be very flexible if a customer is asking you for things you have to answer. Yeah. And if you think about it, you're right. I, I just, I don't like, so for example, if, if I'm working with a customer and they have a question and we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth via email, pick up the phone, right? Mm. Pick up the phone, call them directly. What are you asking? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't understand you. Then you get an answer. And so those one-offs, right? They might not be on your calendar, but they're, they're taking time. And you're not an account manager and you're not customer service, but you still are the main point of contact Mm. during this period. So you want to offer a great experience. And to that point, Sonali, I read this amazing article. I'll have to send it to you so you can link it. But there's this beautiful article by the Harvard Business Review on the differences between a customer service team and customer success. Oh, wow. Okay. And... One of the things that they had cited as an anecdote, because they had done this very large research service uh, survey, excuse me, across, you know, hundreds of companies. And one of the things that they said is, you know, when you're a customer, so if, you, if I think about Stitch Fix, if you call their customer service line, you don't want the customer service person to be like, well, you have option A, B, C, and D, and E, and F, and G. Yeah. You know, you want someone to tell you, you have options A, B, C. I recommend option A yeah. for these reasons. Yeah. What are you going to choose? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it takes time to get to that level of understanding. And that's why I always try to carve out time on my calendar where I know I have to sit down and come up with a best practice or recommendation for my customer so that when they ask me, hmm. I can pull from experience. Hmm. And so within Amazon, which teams are you or which functions do you interface with the most on a regular basis? Definitely my sales counterpart, right? Yeah. My my sales team, and they're um they're in a customer advisory role, right? So they they're kind of the more long term contact for my customer. I work a lot with the technical teams as well, right? So if you're going to pull in a customer success manager, it's typically going to be a more complicated type of integration, hmm. right? So so you're going to pull in someone to provide you with that guidance and support. So when you say uh, technical teams, I'm guessing you're like a product manager or an engineer. These are all engineers, right? So okay. they're engineers who are deeply familiar, right, with integrations and specifically with we're talking about things like a procurement systems. It's not limited to just that, but the, my experience thus far has been with e-procurement, mm. right? So that experience for customers. Yeah. I try not to over overburden product teams. <laughs> so any yeah. product managers out there listening, uh, you'll appreciate that, right? Because <laughs> there's a bunch of resources that I can consult. And so I'll try again, you know, to be super meticulous mm. with my time. So I'm not picking an individual product manager mm. unless they're my friend, Sonali. And ping them and ask them a specific product question. And a lot of those questions, as you can imagine, are going to be, hey, when is this coming live on the roadmap? And yeah, they're like, yeah. don't ask me. <laughs> you know, we, can, yeah. we, can't, we can't talk about that. So, Or I'll have clients that are international and they'll ask me about where does Amazon business operate internationally? 
And so I'll talk to them about where we operate currently, which is in Europe and parts of Asia. Um, and if I want to get any deeper information, I'll interact with that same product team. So it's really a, depending on the question itself. Because we are a marketplace, we also work with a lot of different types of supplier teams. And so I, I, if I can't get an answer directly, then we have you know internal systems that we use to just try to create some like framework around it to yeah. minimize the whole one-off type of situations, yeah. right? Where someone's pinging you all the time. Yeah, but I'm sure that that can get stressful perhaps because let's say a customer is sort of banging down your door saying or asking a question and you don't know the answer and the person who knows the answer is not responding, then you're sort of in a fix. Like, does that happen? <laughs> So for that, and I should have mentioned that actually the biggest team I interact with most of the time is my own team, hmm. right? Because you're pulling on a, a, a large ocean of knowledge. Um, these folks have been around for a while and they've probably seen every scenario imaginable. And if they haven't, then we can work on it together, right? So most of the most of the times, it is a little, you know, frustrating if you can't get to what you need immediately. I think that's part of the growth aspect of the job. There's always some part of the job that you want to be able to grow and learn and, and be in a kind of stretch role type yeah. of situation. And I, I find that a lot of the times I, I have to rely on my teammates more and say, hey, you know, have you come across this scenario? Um, I'm not saying this, you know, invoice test come through. What can I do to troubleshoot? And a lot of times they'll say, that's not really your responsibility. Let's bring in the expert. Let's bring in the tech mm. the developer who can mm. help answer that. I see. So what do you think are the most interesting aspects of this job? Like if you were to, if someone comes to you and says, hey, Narita, what would you say why I should get into this function? What would be your pitch to them? What I like about this is that even though you're kind of, in a lot of ways, it may feel like you're doing the same thing for the customer over and over again. No customer is alike. And so what I really say to people is if you are customer obsessed and you love working with folks and, and are able to have that, again, client hand relationship with them, meaning mm -hmm. that you are okay seeing them through the, the good and the bad and the ugly, yeah. <laughs> then yeah. this is a really good opportunity for you because you are still helping grow and nurture the business but doing it from a way that can be really satisfying because you are literally taking something that is an idea, seeing it through every stage of an implementation, those five stages I mentioned earlier, to fruition. So there is a point in time where you can say, great, we've checked every box, customer's happy, we can move on. And I think that you know, from that perspective, just the possibilities of where you are able to grow your career too, right? Because the number of people that I interact with on a daily basis, mm -hmm. both on the internal and external client side, you know, I've made a lot of great friends in other industries. I've learned a lot about other different types of companies. I know way too much about procurement and B2B <laughs> purchasing than I ever thought I would in my life. But then again, I never thought I'd be doing, you know, working for a math program yeah. in my life. Yeah. So there's so much that you can learn in the role as well. So if you're a lifelong learner, this might be a role for you. That's interesting. Yeah, th that, those are two very, very good points. One, how you get this variety across. Like, if, if you enjoy working with a lot of customers and you enjoy that relationship building aspect, 
then definitely it's a good role. And the network is, is, is a great point. I wouldn't have thought of that immediately. Uh, but I'm sure by now you have a number of contacts. So, and that's of course helpful for your career. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any aspects that you do not like? I think you, you know, I mentioned a lot. I was like, hammering down on like time and time and time management. Yeah. It's hard, right? I mean, you, you when you have that many people involved in an implementation, you almost have to step back and say, okay, who's who in the zoo? Mm. Like, <laughs> like who needs to be here? And is it really worth to have them on the call? And then coordinating all of that. And then there's also... I think you teams have different goals, right? So if you think about like just managing those expectations, right? The customer may have a specific goal in mind. The technical team might have a specific goal in mind. The sales team has a different goal in mind. I have a different goal in mind. So just facilitating that change management, even within your own internal systems is really important. And I think ultimately we want to provide the best customer experience possible but everyone has different kind of priorities that they bring to the table. Yeah. So sometimes it's about stepping back and be, and I think as, you know, I hate to play the woman card, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I, I did go to Smith College after all, but it's about learning how to say no. It took me so long um, and mm-hmm. I'm still something that I struggle with still is saying no, no, we're going we're gonna to stick to that time. We decided <laughs> that that was the time that was going to work. Yeah. I'm not going to reschedule it again. If you can't make it, I will fill you in and keep you posted and copy you into everything. But we're going to we're going to stick yeah. to it and just say no, you know, yeah. push back a little bit. Yeah. Are, are there any aspects that you find challenging? So not necessarily that you don't like them, but they're just mm-hmm. sort of challenging aspects of the job. For me, it's been a lot about project management. So mm-hmm. if you think about being someone who's really process oriented yeah. is really important. And if you think about how potentially how many customers you may be, you may have at any given week, right? So it's possible that you may have more on some, some week and then less on another yeah. week, right? Cause yeah. you are launching things and things are going live. Um, so they're moving off, off of your table. Right. But it's very, you do have to be super organized and process oriented with those project management skills. And I think the worst thing that you want to do is show up late to a meeting, forget the details, right, of that particular customer that you're working with. You want to provide a real white glove service, Mm -hmm. right, for the customer. And you are Amazon. So, you know, you're representing a company that that really is customer first. And so I think that (laughs) that makes it even harder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you want to just be super, you know, meticulous and write a lot if you can be and that's always my aim <laughs> that, that's a really really good point because at any point in time like on an average how many customers are you working with let's say in, in any given week I, I unfortunately can't share that okay but, but it's uh, more but than one to keep me right? busy <laughs> yeah so it's more than one I'm sure mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. so so it's many customers which means that a you have to context switch and B, you have to have, like, you have to be really, really organized for each of them and sort of show up with the context in your mind for each and every meeting, which, exactly, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that that needs someone who is very organized, very process oriented and good at documenting everything, putting things in their place whenever possible instead of waiting for the last moment and procrastinating, which I do. So I, I don't think this would be a good role for me. Um, all right. 
And uh, does this job get stressful? I wouldn't say so. I think if you, I mean, it really depends on, on the context, right? I think it depends on where you work, who you work for, yeah. who you're working with. I might get a lot of feedback about this, but I imagine that Salesforce is really intense. And maybe that's just my perception yeah. of the company. I could be totally wrong. But I could imagine how if you're extremely, you know, like revenue focused and growth driven, then a place like Salesforce where it's like can be highly technical, can be very time bound and, and everyone's moving on 100 miles an hour. I think that that's true. And not to say that Amazon isn't, but I just think that I think about it really depends on the context that you may be in, right? With who you're reporting and who you're working with. I think the stressful part, at least for me, has been that personally, I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. So now <laughs> <laughs> I want to just have everyone be happy all the time. And there are trade-offs, right? There are times where you might have to say, say either to an internal mm -hmm. or to an external customer. We simply can't do that, right? We just don't have that functionality. We just don't, um, we don't really support that right now. That's not really how we operate. So I'll have customers tell me, can I send you a PO? And can you just like charge against that PO. Mm -hmm. Like we're yeah. like we're a market we're a marketplace, yeah. right? That that was a little bit of just an example there, but it could be, you know, when I was working at Tenmarks and I was uh with Amazon on on the education side, my job was to, like I said, implement, onboard, train, develop, monitor, evaluate. And that meant that I was working with the largest school districts in the country and I was on a plane during the back to school system <laughs> season. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. For like three months, I'd have maybe 24 hours in between when I would get home, come home, empty out my suitcase, put new clothes in, yeah. head back to the airport. And I was just away for yeah. just the month of August, September and October. It was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. It was the best time I think of my life, but it was just so <laughs> I'm sure you learned a lot, yeah. But you're right that I think because of because of the fact that it's customer facing, I'm guessing that if it's very tight, you know, if there's a request that you need to fulfill very quickly, or there's some pressure like that, then that might lead to stress. But otherwise, you know, you can be pretty flexible with your time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just have a few more questions now from the point of view of someone who's interested in you know getting into CSM or or exploring the function a little bit more. So. What do you think are some of the key skills or traits that you think someone needs in order to do well as a customer success manager? So I, t I think I talked to them about, about them a little bit earlier. So apologies if I'm repeating mm -hmm. myself. But I think again, right? So even if you don't necessarily come from a product or a sales background and this is something that you want to try and you're right out of school, as long as you can show me some concrete examples of how you have project management experience, if you happen to have worked with or at least are super familiar with the SaaS world, right? I think that's going to be really important as well because CSM roles tend to be, right, mm, in a yeah. SaaS, SaaS type of function. Um, so I'm looking for that. So experience with software. And then also just if you're really good about kind of being, what's the word, Sonali, like self-motivated, Right. And self-driven. I think that that's important, too. And I know it sounds really kind of generic, but <laughs> my advice would be if you are if you are interested in this role, you don't always have to start with a CSM title. I think a lot of people do come to it via sales. I think more people come to it via you know project management, consulting backgrounds, 
and even the product world, right? We're seeing more and more product folks who are maybe in, um, and I, I heard Giannis explain this earlier too, but at Amazon, we have a, a product tech and then a non-tech function. So you can technically come from both sides of that. So if you, I imagine that if you work, I don't, I'm not as familiar with AWS, but I imagine that if you're doing some sort of solution architecture position, which is similar to the CSM function, and at AWS, you have the opportunities to come at it both from a non-tech and a tech role, right? Gotcha. So a solutions architect yeah. who is highly technical and yeah. a CSM manager who is yeah. maybe non-tech and more program or project management. Okay. So, so I, I think, so let me ask the question slightly differently, which is that think about someone in your team who you think is a really, really good customer success manager, like he or she is really killing it. Mm-hmm. And it could be mm-hmm. you, I don't know, yeah. or it could be someone yeah. else, right? What do you think makes them so good at their job? I'll say that some of the my observations has have been that people who are really good at what they do in this particular function do have some sort of industry background yeah. or, or specification, right? So my manager... Yeah. who is both super well-versed in procurement and supply chain, but also has a con- deep consulting background, yeah. is able to combine those two. And then you have folks who who are not just good project managers, because I think those are skills that are transferable, right? You can learn how to be a great project manager. But those folks who are able to be super clean and well-managed with their time and with the project, right? So if you can come at it with that expertise, not only is that going to be a bonus, but I've seen folks who say, this is what we got to do and you got to check all these boxes before we yeah. proceed to step two, are just able to to really, really crush it. Uh, so you mentioned two things. One is that you definitely need to have industry background. So whether you build it on the job or you already have it, but having a very solid understanding of whatever the product or service is going to be key because you have to help the customer with it. And then uh, two, they have to be very well organized and that's going to definitely help you on the job. Uh, Would you say that being, I don't know if people person is the right term for it, but because you're spending all your time with so many customers, you have to enjoy working with a lot of different people on a very, very consistent basis. So is is that something which you think is is fairly Mm. critical? I don't, I think it's a bonus. I don't think it's necessary. So the person that I was talking about earlier um, when he starts his calls, it's crickets. <laughs> you know, <Okay>. usually, <laughs> usually I jump on the call and we're, you know, we're having a little intro here and there and having a little <laughs> chat before diving deep. But that doesn't, I, I think what makes that person successful is, is that, you know, he's really able to meet the customer outcomes, right? And really is able to deliver. So I, I think it's helpful, right? If you have that ability to, uh, connect with with people and customers and are able to communicate effectively but more importantly is can you deliver right mm, and that's yeah. going to make any customer happy can you deliver on the set um, yeah. outcomes that you've outlined yeah that's helpful okay and so you already talked about the background uh, so that's fine any resources that you would like to recommend to someone who is looking to understand the role a little bit better uh, or you know just explore the role yeah, I don't have any like really, really good ones at the top of my head. I will say that there's probably a lot out there, um, Sonali. I would, so I mentioned earlier the interview with the uh, chief customer advisor at Gainsight. 
I think Gainsight is a really cool company to check out if you're interested. I mean, I think that they're kind of redefining customer success. Um, so I would say that there's this, <laughs> I'm giving you like videos and things like this, but there's this awesome video of, um, the origins of customer success at Salesforce. So okay. if you YouTube it and type in origins of customer success at Salesforce, that's a phenomenal talk. And it's CEO talks to you a little bit about what they think in terms of CS. And then, um, there's also Lincoln Murphy wrote a book. Uh, he wrote kind of like a handbook to customer success. I don't love it, but I think it's helpful for anyone who just needs like a solid definition. But as we talked about today, there are some differences between the CM role and AM roles, um, but it really does depend on the context and the company that you're working on and how they're going to divvy up the, yeah. the responsibilities. Yeah, so I mean, I guess people can just Google these and something will come up. So <laughs> those are those are good resources. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, talking to people and reaching out to people on, on LinkedIn to just have an informational kind of discussion is, of course, that that's good for any role, not just CSM. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, let's say someone is, uh, you know, they listen to your podcast and they're like, hey, you know, I want to try out this function. But you know, one way is, of course, you know, trying to recruit for a full-time role. Is there anything that someone can do to get a sense for what working in this function is like? Let me try and take an analogy. So let's say I was interested or I'm curious about product management, right? And then I say, okay, you know, I can, if I want to figure out whether I'll actually enjoy product management or not, I can think about you know, would would I enjoy building a product? So I can think about, hey, you know, if I was to build something in the music industry, what would I what would I build? Or if I were to improve Spotify, how would I improve it? And if I enjoy thinking about those kind of things, maybe maybe I team up with an engineer to build something interesting on my own. Then that that might give me a <clears throat> fairly good idea about, you know, what I think this PM thing is kind of interesting for me. Like it's a good fit. Is there an exercise that you can do to get a sense for would you enjoy customer success management? And it's okay if there isn't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, in case Got there it. is. Yeah. So the couple of things that you can do, I, I think because the background of CSMs is so varied, right? Yeah. There's just so many ways that you can come to this function. I'm not going to recommend that there's only one particular avenue that you can pursue, but I think it's extremely helpful if you can wherever possible to be in a customer facing role. And I'm not talking about internal customers, right, where you might work with different internal teams, but with actual customers. So if there's no particular CS role or function at where you at the company or or experience that you might be working on, Mm. I would suggest that you maybe start a sales role Mm. um, or start in a marketing function or or more of a or or even a a a pm role that is that is heavily involved right in customers but sales is usually kind of the the easiest way where you know that there's going to be a similar function like that almost everywhere and because it's just so i think different right than than working with peers or colleagues or internal customers um, when you're working with a client, there are certain expectations you have to meet, and there's no better way to do that than by than by working directly with the customers yeah, that you're trying yeah. to to partner or acquire. Yeah, because that's probably the most 
central yeah. element of the job. So if you enjoy that, yeah. then you'll probably enjoy the function also. Okay. Exactly. So we're pretty much at the end of the discussion. Uh, would you have any advice for candidates? So CSM is an up and coming function and uh, it's a relatively new function, but I see a lot of openings for CSM. So I'm sure you get a bunch of applications. Any advice you would have for them? Is there a way for candidates to stand out or you see any common mistakes that people tend to make? Yeah, I think, you know, this conversation really helped me think about how I came to the role (laughs) specifically. And I laughed because I was like, no, no, you don't have to have any specific background, but it, it really does not hurt. So if I think about how I came to Amazon into a customer success role, Amazon came to me because I was already in the ed tech and e-learning space. Hmm. So they wanted someone with an education technology background to come and join their team. And I think, again, if that, that might be a great way for you to enter the space, right? If you have a lot of experience with SaaS or you have a niche that you can really build upon. I had a lot of mentors in my early career tell me, you know, really find that niche, right? It doesn't yeah. mean that you have to stick to that for the rest of your life, but but you are known as the the person that does, you know, government contracts. Yeah. You are known as the person that does highly technical integrations. You are known as the person who is really good about Hispanic marketing, mm-hmm. whatever that may be, to help you get in, your foot in through the door. And I, I also have another piece of advice, which would be, I had a mentor earlier in my career um, at Amazon that I would meet with on a regular basis. And one thing he told me was, no one is going to give you anything. (laughs) No one's going to be like, Narita's doing a great job. (laughs) Like, Let's go commander. No one is actually going to approach you um, with a ton of opportunities. And, and there are many cases where, yes, right, opportunities may come directly to you, but, but not, they don't just appear out of thin, out of, out of thin air. You really do have to be the owner of your career. You really have to own every aspect of your career. You have to really manage it. So one thing I'll say is you really have to, you know, if you're interested in that role, go schedule an informational interview. Go put time on that person's calendar. Send them a note and tell them exactly what you want. If you're in a position where you need to consult with your manager first, sit down with your manager and say, I want to get promoted. You know, I want to do this. You tell them exactly what you need and then hear and then listen, listen, to listen, right? Spend less time talking, which I'm not doing right now. And more time <laughs> listening. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is awesome, Narita. Thank you so much. I was going to ask you, do you have any parting advice for our listeners? But, but I think you already shared it unless you have something else. No, that's it. Yeah. 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 But that, that's a great message to end the podcast on because like, I really like your uh, suggestion of, A, you need to think about your niche. So having any niche, whatever it is, but if that's the thing that you're known for, then opportunities will come to you. So that that's great advice. And then, of course, you have to own your career. So things are not going to come to you. People are not just going to randomly help you out to say that, wow, you're so awesome. You need to figure out what you want and actively go and get it. So thank you so much, Naira. This was awesome. This has been a little bit of a revelation for me because I always assume that, oh, you know, customer success management, very similar to account management is sort of like consulting, but there's so much more to it. And I didn't realize that the, that the role is so technical, which I'm now seeing that it is. Well, Sonali, thank you so much for reaching out to me. It was a pleasure speaking with you tonight and hopefully we can stay in touch. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, 
take care and bye 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 all right i hope you enjoyed the discussion just before you leave do remember to sign up for our newsletter on our website learneducatediscover.com where we share updates on new episodes a lot of career oriented resources and a lot of other inspiring stories and videos and podcasts that we find online so do check it out at learneducatediscover.com you'll also find the library of all the other podcasts that we've done in the past on the website of course if you have any questions at all or if you just want to say hello you can always email us Just drop us a mail at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. Of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover or you can also subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, Bye-bye.